Well, we're glad you're here. We're in a series on Jonah, Adventures from the Fish Hotel, and we're in part three. We'll finish next week. A lot of great lessons about how foolish it is to run from God. Oh, Jonah tried that. Most of his life is just going downhill on the skids. It also is a good rebuke to the average Christian, you'll see, and it's going to be today a story about amazing grace. Somebody asked me on a Christian interview show two years ago, had I become more liberal as I got older? And I says, what I think happened is I said, I think I got a bigger God than I did when I was younger. The more I read the Bible, the more I travel the world, the more I meet and intercede people, I realized I got a lot bigger God than they gave me back in my early days. And that is good news good news. God can go way beyond the parameters that many of you were taught incorrectly from a little bit of religion or church. And if you stick with Scripture, like we're going to do today, it'll blow your mind. And it typically makes Christians kind of mad, because although they say they believe in grace, 90% of them still believe they earn God's favor. But what do you do when God gives favor to somebody who doesn't deserve it? Well, we'll find out. Jonah chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. That's like for us hard-headed people. (laughs) Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah finally did something right. He obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days and you guys are going to be toast. This is not what God told him. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the great to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, dressed himself in sackcloth, and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil way and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Maybe even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Well, we've been looking at the book of Jonah, so let's do a quick review for those that weren't here. The story begins when God calls Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And then Jonah does what most Christians tend to do when God calls them. He runs away in the opposite direction. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get the heck out of here. That's about it. And Jonah goes down to a city called Joppa. He goes down to a ship headed for Tarshish. He goes down into the hole of the ship, and he goes down to sleep. Which way is old Jonah's life going? Down. But one of the surprises in Jonah's life is that when things are looking down, God seems to be always up to something really good. So God caused a great storm to come up, and the sailors prayed to their little gods to no avail. The storm became so massive, 
the crew began to throw their prized cargo overboard. I don't know if you ever saw the movie a few years ago with George Clooney, The Perfect Storm. That crew drove their ship into the storm of the century to avoid losing their cargo. So you can know this storm had to be epic when they're throwing everything they've worked for into the sea. Finally, the sailors go to Jonah, who tells them, you guys are throwing the wrong stuff overboard. I'm on the run from God, and if you want to save your lives in the ship, throw me overboard. So the sailors fearfully oblige, and the weather becomes calm. The sailors come to believe in this God of Jonah. It's an amazing surprise. But where's Jonah? He's sinking down into the sea. Down, down, down. Looks like a dead man for sure. And yet God provides a great fish that swallowed Jonah. And may I say the point of this story is not trying to find a species today of this fish. This is a one-off by God. There ain't no species like that around. God can create instantly out of nothing, and God created this fish. I know we talk about whales, but that's not the word used. It's fish, a great fish. So this is something that would take a miracle. That's the point. Maybe you're facing something that would take a miracle. Pay attention. For three days and three nights, Jonah prayed to God. I mean, like, what else are you going to do? You're in the guts of a fish. What would you do? You know, there's no internet. You can't email anybody. You can't watch the Warriors in Toronto. <laughs> I was thinking about how we could improve our giving in this church. We could just, we could have odds bet here out at Kiosh's on the game Monday night. I, I'm kidding or whatever, but it is a thought. So he's praying to God wondering, what's going to happen to my life? And there in the darkness of this fish hotel, God hears Jonah, and he'll hear you from the nastiest place you happen to be. He hears him, he loves him, and God refuses to let him go. So God causes this great fish to vomit Jonah back onto dry land. And Jonah is rescued from his own sin and rebellion and from death. It's not hard to imagine what old Jonah must have been thinking or we would have been thinking, thank God I'm alive. I'm covered in fish vomit, but I'm alive. God heard my prayer and he saved me. And Jonah is probably thinking, man, I ought to write a book, Adventures from the Fish Hotel. Maybe I ought to build a church right here where God delivered me on the beach, lots of parking. Call it the Church of Whales. We'll do baptisms, throwing people off of boats. We'll have testimonies from pagan sailors. So Jonah wants to move on to bigger and better things. But we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Do what I told you. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, does that sound familiar? That's that God maybe has changed his mind and moved on to bigger things? Nope. God hadn't moved on. God hadn't changed his mind. God's not going to forget what he told Jonah, although there's been a lot of stuff going on for several days. God calls Jonah a second time. Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, I think it was last week we pointed out some patterns in the language of the story that God is always up to something great and that Jonah is always on his way down. Nineveh is where God's people are to go. Nineveh is a nasty place you don't want to go. It's something you don't want to do. 
See, go is one of the most fundamental verbs in the Christian faith. Unfortunately, and it's our fault in the church in its history, all too often the focus is on the opposite word, stop. Too many Christians spend most of their lives thinking God's basic call on their life is to stop this, stop that, stop, stop, stop. Now, it's good to stop something that's bad or evil or detrimental to you, right? That's good. But the heart of the Christian message is not stop. If it was, we'd all be better off staying home. The heart of the Christian discipleship is the word go. When God calls Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave behind your city, your family, your stuff, and go. When God calls Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to stop being a shepherd in Midian and go back to Egypt. After his resurrection, what did Jesus say to his followers? Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Go into all the world. It didn't come and sit. It's go and serve. At the heart of Christianity, there's a movement, an outward focus, a going that we can easily forget as we all face the demands of our lives. But God doesn't forget why He has called us and saved us, including Jonah, which is to go. We're to go out and serve our community. We're to serve the poor. You'll watch on the news. The reason I ask you to give, even if you ever give anything, when you look at all the different social agencies that we're helping this summer, that takes money and that takes people and it takes resources. And if people aren't willing to go, then we can just curse the darkness instead of lighting the match. But we're supposed to go out and touch our community. Salt, we're called the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Tell me how good salt is in a shaker. It doesn't, it doesn't bring any seasoning to food at all locked up in a shaker. Sitting here in the church, we're not salting anything. It's when we go to work, go to school, go out in the marketplace, in sports, media, whatever we work, God says, I want you out of the dumb shaker and get out in the world because salt affects everything it touches and nothing affects the taste of salt. Nobody ever said in a restaurant, this salt tastes steaky, <laughs> ever. You see what I'm saying? See, salt touches everything and affects the taste of everything. And God said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, we're in the shaker right now, inside here. But that's not our assignment. Now, we get refreshed and healed. We learn. We grow. We have interaction. But the real, the real ministry is when we leave here all week. That's it. See? And where's Jonah called to go? To the worst place on earth at that time. Nineveh. It's not a good place to be going. Nineveh would be ancient day Las Vegas. Sin City on steroids. It would make a red light district look like Disneyland. It makes the axis of evil look like the Salvation Army. Nineveh, by all observations, was too screwed up, messed up, washed up for a good and holy God to have anything to do with it. And some of you think that about some people. Nineveh is not just the place you don't want to go. It's the place most Christians believe is out of God's reach. It's just too bad. You know, it's a friend or family member you've prayed for but never seems to change. It's a colleague who laughs at your faith or how you live. It's a person you try to love, but they just respond like a jerk. It's a situation that never seems to get any better, that never has any hope. And God says, that's where we're going, Sparky, right there. And when you get there, God says, I've got a new message for you. 
And if you remember back to the first time God called Jonah, he told him, go to the great city of Nineveh and do what? Preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Nineveh was a horrible place. This is the empire whose armies ravaged the northern tribes of Israel, decimated them, left dead bodies piled up on the roads. If any city in the world at that time deserved to let them have it from God, well, it would have been Nineveh. But now God says, go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. See, God is telling Jonah, I still want you to go to Nineveh, but when you get there, I've got a message for them that's really going to shock you, one you might not expect because God is up to something really great. So Jonah goes. Verse 3, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, can you believe it, and went to Nineveh. We should stand and give a round of applause because this is the only time in the story Jonah gets anything right. This is it. Everything else he screws up in his disobedience, his bad attitude, his own unexpectation, running and hiding. But here, finally Jonah obeys. You know, let me reflect on this for just a minute because I know we all get stuff wrong a lot of the time. St. Paul says, we do the things we don't want to do and we don't do the things God wants us to do. But amidst our constant struggles, for you and me, there are moments where we get something right. There are moments like that. Moments when you might gossip about a colleague or a friend and you don't. Moments you might act angrily to your spouse and you hold back. Moments when you might act lustfully or impulsively and you resist. And in those moments when we obey, even though it may seem small, it pleases God. And even though there may be moments of failure in the future, God is pleased when you obey, even in a small thing. And you need to know that. If Jonah doesn't go, we would never see what we're about to see happen in Nineveh. So Jonah obeyed God, and he went to Nineveh. But just because you obey God doesn't mean circumstances are going to be any less intimidating. Nineveh is still Nineveh at the moment. And as soon as Jonah arrives in the city, the reality of this situation sets in. He says, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah travels one-third of the way into the city and stops. And he gives the shortest sermon in human history, eight words. I know, I know some of you are thinking, boy, we should be that lucky this morning. <laughs> I've already used up my quota. Jonah's message is incredibly vague. It lacks all the characteristic features of an Old Testament prophecy. There's no word from the Lord. There's no naming of sin. There's no appeal for the victims of injustice. There's no mention of God. What happened to go and proclaim the message I gave you? So what's happening here? A number of scholars think that even though Jonah obeys, he can't see any possible good coming out of this situation. It's what we would call today his no way anything good's going to happen. So he's not giving the message that God gave to give to them because he doesn't expect anything to happen. See, when it comes to what can do, we all have, everybody in this room's got a, like a no way list. Jonah's might go something like this. The messenger is unfit. The message is too short. The city's too large. The culture's too foreign. The audience is too wicked. The time frame is too limited. There's no way I could make any difference in this situation in Nineveh. Our no way lists are pretty much the same. 
I just don't understand this culture. There's always too much going on. I don't have my life together like who does. And I never know the right words to say. And people probably aren't going to change anyway. See, you got them. Maybe you've got a story of a situation you've been engaged in for years with no apparent success or breakthrough. Something that makes you stop expecting, believing, hoping, and praying. See, we ought to be an oasis of hope on the work. I have never felt any crisis we've been in in 35 years as a church or in my own life. I've felt bad. I've felt depressed. But I've never felt there's no hope. Not one day. If you are a believer in Jesus, that's impossible for there to be no hope. See, but whenever we're thinking things are headed down, God is always up to something great. Now, you want to see what God's up to in places like Nineveh? Well, after Jonah goes one day march and says his eight-word sermon, it says, the Ninevites believed God. Whoa! The people farthest from God, the people least likely to believe, the worst people on earth come to believe in God. And not just some of the people, all the people, even though Jonah's only a third of the way through town. And the people didn't just believe in God. It says they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was an abrasive covering made out of goat hair, worn in public as a sign of my repentance. That doesn't sound like something you respectable people would do, right? Would you do it? See, well, even the people of privilege and power are doing it in Nineveh. Folks that live over in Dominion, they're doing it, see? Alamo Heights, they're doing it. You pick a zip code. Think about the president or Bill Gates publicly fasting or Lady Gaga wearing sackcloth more than she normally wears. See, these are public acts of conversions made by everybody in Nineveh. But God didn't just reach the greatest and least. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in this sackcloth, and sat down in the dirt. That's the king of Nineveh. And when uh, he had a prophecy, remember from Nahum, the prophet? These are hard names, Nahum, Nineveh. He says, nothing can heal your wound. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. That's what he had prophesied. And here this brutal dictator gets off his throne, takes off his royal robes, falls on his knees before the mercy of God. And God isn't just getting him done. He's just starting. God didn't just reach the people, the nobles, the king. God goes all the way down to the law of the land. I mean, this would be like Kim Jong-un getting off his palace throne and humbling himself in the dirt. I mean, it's that shocking. So it says, then the king issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything or eat anything. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and violence. Who knows? God may yet relent, change his mind, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. Have you ever heard of a law that ended with a question? It'd be like saying, in Texas, the speed limit is 65 miles an hour. Who knows? Maybe people will follow it. That's, that's what he's saying here. See? 
Well, in those days, the king's proclamation was considered a word from deity. It was absolute, irreversible, no need for questions. But here, the proclamation concludes with an open question, as if to say, even the laws of our land are now dependent on God's mercy. And God didn't stop with the people, the king, the nobles, and the laws. It went all the way down to the animals. Let the animals be covered with sackcloth. Think of your little poochie at home. Can you imagine if you were a cow in that day and your owner comes out and covers you in goat hair? He's weird, but you think, what's happened to him? The people of Nineveh were so passionate about God, about turning their lives over to him, they made even the animals show repentance. I mean, I'm not making this up. This is a story filled with a lot of surprises, but the best surprise is still to come. Look at what God does in Nineveh. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. A lot of people will get upset by that. I can't believe they got mercy. We had a guy, a wonderful man, Maury Davis, preach here a year ago. Maury killed a woman at 18 years of age. He served his time in prison, and a preacher from Dallas went to see him in the prison, led him to Jesus. He gave his heart to Christ, and over the years that followed, became a very vibrant Christian. He started a church in Nashville, Tennessee, built one of the largest churches there, for over 30 years pastored it, and now he travels itinerant around the country and world sharing good news. And there are people who still hate his guts, who still hate the fact that God has been gracious to a murderer and given him favor and kindness after a horrible, terrible crime. If that upsets you, you need to be a Buddhist. You need to find you a different God because God's grace and mercy is unexplainable. It it, it is undeserved. It is so good. That's why Jesus called it good news. And the only people that got offended by it were the Pharisees. They don't want God to be nice to bad people. And He'll do it to tick you off. He will do it because He is gracious, compassionate, and merciful. And I'm glad He is. I remember, I'm going down memory lane, when Billy Graham was alive, the, the, the president of North Korea was not Kim Jong-un nor his father, but the grandfather. And that man asked Billy Graham to come and visit him. And the State Department, everybody was opposed to it. Christians, Christians spoke up in mass that it was wrong to go to this wicked place that murdered people, imprisoned families. And Billy said, I'm going. He said, if I'm held for ransom, if this is a trick, you will pay no ransom for my life whatsoever. I go on my own free will, and I expect no recovery. And I thought, how interesting, because not one of us knows what went on in that room. When he and Billy spoke face-to-face and heart-to-heart, you don't know and I don't know. What if he fell on his knees and said, Jesus, forgive my sin and save me? Wouldn't it be shocking for some of you conservatives to know he might be in heaven? The thief on the cross got there, and all he had was the time to say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, okay, Sparky, today you'll be with me in paradise. How hard is that? I, I'm telling you, this religious stuff is not very attractive. I never wanted to do this because the church is so mean and so, so 
racist and bigoted and prejudiced. In general, not you, of course, not you. But in general, in general, we just can't stand the fact God's good to people who don't deserve it. I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. I want grace. And that's the good news we have to declare to this world. For God's sake, get over your little pet deals. How wonderful if it did happen. We don't know what happened. It's private, and I'm glad it is. I I wonder what you would say back a few years ago before he died if Hugh Hefner called me and says, Rick, would you come meet with me? Woo, I can hear the outcry. Can't believe he's going out to that sex palace. Can't believe. Why not? Hugh Hefner deserves Jesus much as anybody else. What makes you so special? Jesus' blood had to be shed for you to go to heaven, and it would be shed for anybody else to have to go to heaven. And I'm supposed to go, not stay, and be a bearer of good news. I'm probably not supposed to spend the night in the sex palace. (laughs) Although I would notice, but I'd be on a mission. And I'm using a little humor to say how serious that would be. But you'd be shocked how many Christians would not like that at all. So the, the book of Jonah is not a great, my wife, I'll probably have to take a taxi home here. I don't know. I heard her. The book of Jonah is not a great tragedy that ends with no way possible. It's a great comedy where joy and laughter and new life win the day. When God delivered Jonah from the depths of the sea, the joke was on sin and death because it looked like he was a dead man. And here when God delivered Nineveh from the depths of their sin, the joke is on this believer, Jonah, because he didn't think it could happen. The joke is always on those of us who stop believing that God can reach unreachable people. The joke is on all of us who trade in a God with whom all things are possible for this little God of measurable, expected, sensible outcomes. Just because our God is and always will be a God of immeasurable grace, unexpected mercy, and impossible outcomes. Don't lose that. Because God doesn't look at Nineveh and say, oh, no way, not possible. He declares, I am the Lord who rescues people from their sin, and I'm going to do something in your day you wouldn't believe if it were told you. The joke is on us always who stop believing that all things are possible with God. And we've seen some remarkable conversions at Summit over the years. Friends bring a friend who's far from God, not remotely interested in God, but who comes for some special event with a friend. They hear some good news. They commit their heart and life to Jesus and change their lives. You know, the joke is on cynics and skeptics and doubters who long ago stopped believing all things are possible with our God. And if we as believers don't believe that, that anything's possible with God, then the joke is on us. The book of Jonah reminds us about what Jesus is all about. Jesus can reach unreachable people, people you don't like. And Jesus can touch untouchable people, the filthiest, dirtiest outcast. Come unto me, all ye that labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Jesus will touch the leper. He will love the unlovable. Jesus can save your Nineveh and your life as well. See, even if Nineveh is a friend or family member who hates God, even if Nineveh is a situation that seems hopeless, even if Nineveh is a place where no reasonable God would ever go, the question is, will you go to your Nineveh like Jonah did? Will you start to pray for that neighbor or friend or family member? Will you start to rebuild a relationship, start to make that person or situation that seems so out of reach a top priority? And if you listen to God, 
He'll give you the right message when you go. Will you go? Because the God of anything's possible is waiting on all of us to join him in going. See, the real Jonah adventure awaits everybody if you'll go. And one closing thought. It shouldn't be too hard to imagine what Jonah must now be thinking. You think? Oh, yeah. Man, unbelievable. God's grace has won the day again. I should write a book. I should build a church right here in Nineveh. But that, did that happen? You're going to find out next week, not at all. In fact, Jonah sits, soaks, and sours because he doesn't like the people that God saves. They weren't Israeli. They, they, they weren't like him. They didn't know his God. They had multiple gods. And so out of his prejudice and bigotry and racism, he didn't like the race God was working in. And that still goes on today. I want people from every nationality, every culture, every ethnic background that sit in this room to hear nothing but good news. That our God is approachable and accepts everybody. If you'll come to Him through Jesus, not through race or gender or works or what you don't do, but you come through the one who kept the law and says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. You don't have to become a Baptist, a Methodist, Episcopalian. You don't have, I don't care if you're Jewish or you come from a Buddhist background. The question is, you come through Jesus. There's one way, period, for all of us. The rest of the stuff is fluff. The main issue is Jesus. That's it, Jesus only. And I hope you've made that decision because incredible as this story has been so far, the real climax is still to come. And the real test of God's grace is still ahead. So you'll have to come back to see what happens next week. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.